<laughs> not a bad movie, if you've seen it. Not a great movie. Anyone, anyone seen it from the, from the whole thing? There we go. Rod, out of ten? Seven. Seven. Yeah, good. It's not bad. Um, as I said, I'll, I'll make some segue soon. Uh, I, uh, last weekend, we were away, Michelle and I. Actually, Michelle wasn't. Michelle's really sick still, unfortunately. Um, she's been sick for a couple of weeks and got nasty flu. Uh, Archie's got it as well. So we're, I'm the last man standing at home. I don't know why I'm not sick. Um, but there I am, uh, still going. So by the grace of God, I'm here with you today. Um, last, um, last weekend, we had our weekend away we spent with these old friends we've had for um, many, many years, decades actually, and it was a great um, privilege to be there. So thank you for allowing me to do that, um, having some time off uh, to, to see them, catch up with them. Um, that they're friends that we shared great experiences with in the past, with, with ministry and, and in God's word. Um, yeah, it's funny, when you're away, I don't know, I miss church, and it's good to be back together. It's really wonderful. And um, so, yeah, uh, I would love you to have your Bible open to Joshua chapter 23. If you don't have a Bible, you can jump up whenever you want to, no shame in that, and grab one from the, the um, foyer there. Uh, open up Joshua 23, and there's an outline also in your bulletin that uh, you can follow along. In fact, I think I've, yes I have, I've, I've given you some gaps, so you might have to write some things down or learn it. There you go. And yes, wonderful to have the front row taken, front rows taken up. Excellent. You do realise the front row means that, actually it's not true, I think, I think I look at the back rows more than the front rows. So, there you go. Relax. I'm going to pray for us folks. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us today. Uh, thank you that you're a good God who keeps his promises. And Lord, we long for those promises to be fulfilled fully in Jesus uh, as we await the rest we have in you forever and the inheritance that's given to us by trust in the, trusting in, in the Lord Jesus. Uh, Lord, help us to concentrate today. Help me to speak clearly. And um, we pray these things in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. Amen. We're going to have a Q&A at the end too, so if you want to scribble some things down. Okay, so this movie, Downsizing, right? Um, not sure I'd recommend it. It's, but here's the basic premise of the movie. Um, so a new life is based, this new life, based on the promises of, well, increased wealth, what were the other ones? Um, less an environmental footprint. Actually, no, forget that. You live like kings, he says. That's what it's about. You're living like kings. Best of everything, three cheesecake factories. If you've ever been to a cheesecake factory, they're, the, they're, they're a, bit, a bit American. I don't think they have them in Australia at all, actually. I haven't seen one here. They give the most enormous meals you've ever come across in your life. These are massive. Just, well, yeah, anyway, that's what, that's what they're famous for, I think. And apparently cheesecake too. But you're so full from the first meal, you never have any cheesecake. The catch is, of course, you're a lot smaller. You're a lot smaller, and of course, sometimes that presents some challenges, doesn't it? So the marketing, well, it's, the marketing is quite, quite simple. Uh, sign up to downsizing, and this is what we promise. This is our promise to you. Sign up, and this is what you'll get. So what does life look like in that promise, that downsizing promise? You're going to have to go and watch the movie. I'm not going to give any more away. Uh, we're going to now come today to the end of our series on Joshua. It's the end of the book of Joshua, really. These last three chapters, uh, uh, they're a series of speeches by Joshua describing what life living in the promises of God looks like. That's what they are. 
This is what life living in the promises of God looks like. And we're going to dial down really on, on, um, on chapter 23, one of these three speeches that Joshua gives. Israel is now at rest with the allocation of the lands complete. And that's really chapters 13 to 21. Maybe you got a chance to read most of that um, through the last sort of couple of weeks maybe, especially the last few chapters. But Israel's now at rest. Rest on every side is given to them by the Lord. So have a look at chapter 21, verses 44 and 45. 21, 44 and 45. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. So they are indeed God's people in God's place under God's rule. God has kept his promises. But will things stay that way? Because obedience is required in response. So these chapters show God's people the great principles by which life in the land of promise should be lived. They look a little like this. Here's a bit of a summary, if you like. The people will need to remember the goodness of God. They'll need to preserve the unity of the people. They'll need to to not presume on the grace of God. They'll need to be wary of the surrounding culture. They'll need to hold fast to the covenant. That is, the covenant meaning God's promises to his people. These things should characterise life in the land of promise from this time on. These things will make life in the promise a continuing reality. So, if you haven't already, turn to chapter 23 of Joshua, where Joshua gives his, fi- his farewell address to Israel's leaders. And you can see, if you've got your outline there, you can see that there are three distinct sections in this speech. Uh, I've just called them, don't forget, uh, don't defect, and uh, don't be surprised. So, three little headings there. So, let's go to that first one, verses 1 to 5, don't forget. Now, the narrator does not want us to miss something in these first few verses. I wonder if you picked it up. He doesn't want us to miss that Joshua is old. Poor Joshua, he's old. Three times we're told, pretty much, that he's old and that these are his final words to Israel's leaders. In other words, these are significant. They're significant words. And don't think for a second, too, that Joshua's influence has diminished with age. Look at verse 2. He can still summon all Israel, elders, leaders, judges and officials. And what do they do? They all come and listen. The chapter, I think, has a, has a similar feel to Paul's second letter to Timothy, where, like Joshua, Paul's life is at its end. You might know this, um, uh, no, I've heard of this verse. So Paul's writing to Timothy, he says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. What do you, what do you say at, uh, <laughs> what, what to say at a farewell can be tricky, can't it? Ever had to do a farewell from work, or or maybe um, you've moved away, or something like that. Uh, you know, you want to keep your composure. You don't want to <laughs> blubbering around in tears. And what, what do you say? What would you say to this church if you were leaving? Perhaps if you were um, uh, going overseas or you were uh, heading off somewhere um, interstate, what would you say, I wonder? 
thinking that through? What do you think, um, what do you think we might need to hear? Perhaps um, what, what do we need to be encouraged with, be thankful for? Uh, what do we need to uh, be challenged by? I wonder what you'd say. There's a topic for morning tea, isn't it, hey? How about that? I'd, 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 I'd love to know as well. Well, it's clear that Joshua considers this to be one of the last opportunities he'll have to encourage the nation to be faithful to the Lord. He accepts the fact that he is about to go the way of all the earth, verse 14 says. So, what is it? What is it that he wants the people of God to hear as of first importance? What does he want them to remember? Well, I think Joshua 23, 3 to 5, you can summarise it by these three things. Remember what God has done, remember what God has given, and remember what God has promised. Each of these is an aspect of the Lord's grace to Israel. And each of these demands a response, and that is love and loyalty. See verse 3, the people have seen with their own eyes what God has done for them. You see that? They've seen it. They, they, were, they were there. They saw the Jordan River part open. They crossed it. They experienced the grace of God. They have witnessed the removal of the nations from Canaan as God himself has fought for them. Remember what God has done. And this land, well, of course, this land is a gift to them, isn't it? This is what God has given them. It's not their land because of their strength in battle. They didn't do that. God won the battles for them. Remember Jericho, the walls and so on. It's, it's, it's theirs by inheritance. It's a gift. And there is still territory to be occupied. And so Joshua calls on the people to remember the ongoing promises of God. Look at verse 5. The Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God has promised you. So remember what God has done. Remember what God has given and remember what God has promised. Now, how would you complete those sentences? I'm going to give you a moment. How would you complete those sentences? I'd love to give you more time, but I get in trouble going too long. Uh, but maybe you know, write them down. How would you complete them? The Apostle Paul had a crack at it. Uh, sorry, the Apostle Peter had a crack. Paul did as well. But I'm going to quote um, uh, some passages from Peter in a moment. He had a go at this when he wrote his first letter to the Christians who are scattered because of persecution around the Mediterranean. And he writes this. See if you can spot. If I've made it a bit obvious because I've colour-coded it. If you're... Um, uh, if you're colourblind, you may have a bit of trouble here, but that's okay. Um, remember what God has done. God has given what God has promised. So praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy. Remember what God has done. It pictures the cross. It's, a, it's an indication. It's, a, it's pointing us to the cross. He has given us new birth into a living hope. That's what he's given through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance, remember what God has promised. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Remember what God has done. Remember what God has given. And remember what God has promised.
Okay, second. Joshua tells his people, don't defect. Uh, the date was the 21st of April, 1967. A Swiss airplane had touched down on JFK Airport in New York, in New York and a scrum of reporters was jostling for position as the doors opened to the aircraft. A 41-year-old woman stepped out of the plane and greeted them, and she said, Hello there, everybody. I'm happy to be here. Her name was Svetlana Alueva. <laughs> I've got no idea how to pronounce the surname. She's the only daughter of Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin. And she'd just become the Cold War's most famous defector. Now, her story is fascinating. Uh, she went back to Soviet Union again, back and forth. It's got a long story. I don't have time to tell it all. She wrote two books. And, uh, and speaking of final words, by the way, um, these were apparently hers. Just before she died at the age of 85, she said, you can't regret your fate, which is an odd thing anyway. And then she goes on to say, although I do regret my mother didn't marry a carpenter. <laughs> Fair call. Uh, <laughs> not a dictator. Anyway, so by definition, um, a person who defects is someone who gives up allegiance to one state in exchange for allegiance to another. You got that? So changing sides in a way which is considered illegitimate by the first state. It involves abandoning a cause, a person, a doctrine, to which they're bound to by some tie as, um, or allegiance or duty. That's what defection means. Now, Joshua tells the people, don't defect. Don't defect. Don't, ch don't change allegiances to other gods. Don't abandon the true and living God for the false and temporary gods of this world. Don't abandon his promises. Joshua tells the people, not to defect, well, really, in, in three ways. Let's go through these. The first one's in verse 6. Be, be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. So, you see, be careful not to turn away from God's word. That's how you don't defect. You see, it's recognising that in God's word, we have all we need. His very great and precious promises. Now again, the Apostle Peter makes the same point. And if you're here last week, you know how Josh spoke, um, uh, Jake spoke about this. Uh, speaking of scripture, I've got it up here as well, you might, it might ring a bell. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him, who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, through scripture, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. We have everything we need in, 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 our, in, our, in our... I won't pick up my Bible. Everything we need in, in, the, in, the, in the Scriptures. His very great and precious promises. But to maintain this single-minded devotion to God's Word, well, it needs, it needs strength, doesn't it? It's hard sometimes to keep reading your Bible, to pick it up of a morning, to continue that good habit. It's hard. And so we need strength. And so what does Joshua says? He says, so be very strong. See, to walk in God's ways, in obedience to his word, it does, it demands effort. There's no two ways about it. 
It takes self-discipline. It takes some strength. So we ask God, make me strong. And, well, God's people don't live in a bubble. God's people are not called to live the life of a hermit. Uh, So we need to be careful of the company we keep. And this is the second way we can avoid defection. Have a look at verse 7 and 8. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. So be careful not to compromise. There is grave danger in accommodating to the surrounding culture. Now, one example here in in their day of this accommodation for Israel was in their farming, actually. Let me explain. See, up until this point, the Israelites were, uh, were nomadic people. Right? They, they moved around, at least the last couple of generations. Now, they have to adapt to a more settled life. They have their allotment of land. Um, if you want to read 13 to 21, those chapters, you'll see. They've got their land. And they would have seen how the Canaanites successfully farmed the land. And so naturally, well, they'd want to follow what they do, wouldn't they? That makes sense. They want to follow their practices. But here's the problem. The Canaanites would attribute their success to the work of their gods. The best way to farm for them would start by setting up a shrine to the Baal or Asherah. The presence of the Canaanites could easily lead to the influence of other gods, their gods. And so Joshua says, be careful not to compromise. He says, don't associate with them. The principle is the same for us today, isn't it? Uh, idolatry hasn't changed. It's still idolatry. It's just the, the gods are different, that's all. Materialism, greed, uh, individualism, it's all about me. Uh, comfort. Idolatry is still the same. It's love, loving the created things over the creator. And so God says uh, in 1 John 2, do not love the world. Or anything in the world. If any, anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So be careful not to compromise. Be careful. Well, finally, Joshua speaks of avoiding, def- uh, the, the final way Joshua speaks of avoiding this defection this changing allegiance to the other gods, the gods of our age, the gods rather than the true and living God. The final way he speaks of avoiding that defection comes in verses 9 to 11. He says, Be careful to love the Lord your God. Obedience to the word of God arises from the relationship that people have with God himself. Now, if you're a legalist, right? If you're a legalist, I can tell you now, your obedience will fail. That's what's between the lines here because the relationship with God isn't there. It's not the relationship the Bible speaks of with God. But if you love Jesus, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul, well then obedience will follow because it's about that relationship. Now Joshua speaks of an intimate and permanent relationship between God and his people. I want you to see if you can see the key phrase in verse 8. 
What's the phrase here that speaks of that intimate and permanent relationship with God? But you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. See the phrase there? Hold fast. Hold fast. It's a significant phrase. Now, if you know your Bible just a little bit, you might be thinking, hmm, where have I heard that from? Well, you've heard it from Genesis 2. That's where you've heard it from. And you've heard it from Jesus. Because Genesis 2 defines marriage, sorry, Jesus defines marriage by quoting Genesis 2.24. I'll read that to you. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Uh, the old language is cleave to, hold fast, cleave to, or be united to. Leave and cleave. That's why some, you might have heard people describe marriage in that way. Marriage. It's the way Jesus defines marriage and it's the picture that God uses a number of times to describe the relationship between himself and his people. Israel is God's bride and this is the kind of relationship Israel enjoys with God. And it's this relationship that is ultimately fulfilled and made perfect in Jesus, in his death for our sin, for our adultery, picking up the language that Hosea uses. And so in Christ, when we trust in Jesus, we long for a new heaven and a new earth, our inheritance, our rest, as God, with God, with his people, God dwelling with his people, with a church, God's bride, we're with him, and the old order of things has passed away. So Genesis, Revelation 21, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. What a great picture. That's the church. If you're a Christian, that's you and I. And what do we, what do we look forward to? That rest we have with God, that inheritance. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. What a great picture. A great picture of our relationship with God, with sin removed, the old order of things passed away, at rest completely with God. Our inheritance. Well, these things, so so far we've got these things, uh, don't forget and don't defect, should characterise life in the land of promise. These things will make life in the promise a continuing reality. There is one more, though, and I won't spend too much time on this one, but uh, don't be surprised. It's a bit of a word of caution, really. That's what it is. Uh, a bit of a dose of realism. Don't be surprised if, that if you do turn aside, there will be consequences there'll be disastrous results and so have a look at verse 12 with me uh, Joshua 23 verse 12 but if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you and if you intermarry with them and associate with them then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you instead they'll become snares and traps for you so in other words it's it's you know, it's not rocket science. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if the, if the land, the people bring you down. If you turn aside, that's what's going to happen. 
Now, he gives an example here, which we might just pick up on for a moment. The example is marriage. I, and here's uh, some good wisdom for us. We would be foolish to think that marrying a non-believer would have no effect on our beliefs. It would be foolish to think that. It's a clash of belief, isn't it? It's a clash of belief. Uh, And it'll play out in all sorts of discussions at home, um, all all sorts of aspects of life. And that conflict will cause pain. We'd be foolish to think that it wouldn't. From raising your kids and discipline to what you do on a Sunday, uh, to, to sex life, that sort of thing. How you spend your money, giving. There's some good wisdom here, isn't there? There's a clash. Like Canaanite men and women, a non-Christian will have a different worldview than, than you do. And if he or she doesn't have that, well, it doesn't, then perhaps your worldview is not a biblical one at all. So don't be surprised if you turn aside from the Word of God. Well, don't be surprised then consequences will follow. And so verse 16, don't be surprised if actually for the Israelites, the Lord brings you down. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you. Now sadly, that's the story of the book of Judges. Uh, aptly um, uh, uh, explained to us in the movie Groundhog Day. Um, <laughs> but that, it is, it's just this cycle. cycle, and cycle and, but it's also a cycle of God's grace and forgiveness too. That's part of it. But don't be surprised if the Lord, if the Lord brings you down. But verse 14 is probably the key verse in the book. For as sure as God's promises for good have been fulfilled, so the promise of judgment will be. Look at verse 14. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all of the good promises the Lord your God gave gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled, not one has failed. But just as all the good things the Lord your God has promised you has, have come to you, so he will bring on you all the evil things he has threatened until the Lord your God has destroyed you from the good land he has given you. So don't be surprised. The Israelites needed to hear that. Did they hear it? Eh, maybe not. Okay, well, let's tie a few things together. What are we left with at the end of in this book of Joshua? Well, we're left with a choice, aren't we? We're left with a choice. We're left with two ways to live, could put it that way. We can, we can go our way. The Israelites can go their way, our way, and we can reject God as ruler. We can reject his promises and reject him as saviour, as the true and living God. We can turn aside. We can compromise. We can accommodate. We could do that. Or we go God's way. We can choose life. We'll hear that phrase in a moment, which I love. We can choose life. We can choose grace. We can choose God's forgiveness when we've gone wrong. We can trust in the Lord Jesus. We can trust and serve him living in the life of promise, living in God's promises. We can remember what God has done. We can remember what God has given. And we can remember the promises he's made. And so Joshua spells this out in probably one of the most um, uh, quoted verses from Joshua. Uh, you might have seen it on your friend's fridge. Uh, it's a great, line, a great verse. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. 
throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day who you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Why don't I pray for us? And um, we'll have any uh, time of questions if you've got a question. Father, we pray today that we would choose life. We would choose to live in your wonderful, your very great and precious promises. We would choose to live in your grace and mercy, knowing that we need you desperately as our Saviour and our Lord. Help us to choose life. Help us not to turn aside. Help us not to compromise. Help us not to accommodate. But instead to choose life, the greatest the life to the full, as your son Jesus explained. Lord, thank you for your word to, to us today. Help us not to walk out here and just go blah, blah, blah. But help us to act on it. And we thank you for your, uh, your promises to us in Jesus. Amen.